Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. If somebody doesn't believe in me, I, I can't believe in them. He's responsible, caring, and loving, and enthusiastic. I measure my life in degrees of happiness. I'm, uh, I'm supporting my family in a way that makes me happy. I got a nice house, I got a real nice car, and once a year, I write an ad that I'm proud of. And that's what you want? No, that's what I take. You never get what you want. and honest and forthright. Look, I'm not going to discuss my private life with total strangers. It's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? And he's really got a great sense of humor. Did he by any chance put you up to this? No. Oh, no. I am not going to sit on my ass as the events that affect me unfold to determine the course of my life. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to defend it. You want to hurt me? Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. There you go. My muse, the patron saint of Stuck in the 80s, John Hughes is with us no more. But we still are. Hey, it's Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. And with me, Kathy Baker Davis Wass. I can't believe you just felt me up, Steve Spears. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, his nickname rhymes with Uncle Buck, Times Pop Music critic Sean Daly. You know, Steve, I uh, checked the Vegas odds today and uh, the over-under on the amount of times you're going to cry this episode is set at 13. No, no. Come on, swear no. a few. No. <laughs> if we're going to have any kind of fun together, you guys had better loosen up. <sighs> no, this is going to be a celebration. You will Hughes. cry. You will cry. Come on. You know what? You Stuck in the 80s Nation wants you to cry. I've cried You're enough. the big giant cry baby, and I'm the tough, macho, uh, <laughs> cynical one. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're help. the eye candy. <laughs> You're nothing but eye candy. Eye candy for the uh, iPod. Great, because they can't see me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've been wanting to do the show for a while, obviously, and um, we good. had a couple of interviews lined up that we, you know, we did Def Leppard and we did um, Air Supply, and we wanted to do 
a, a special John Hughes show. Absolutely. Uh, the original thought was that Steve and I would come in when we heard that uh, you know he died and do boom, knock out a twenty minute you know homage. But then we're like, well, let's hold off. And you can, we can produce the hell out of it, and we can have the lovely and talented Kathy with us. And so we're here today for our master to, to pay respects. Yeah, yes. it's been almost uh, two weeks since uh, John left us on August 6th, 2009, in New York City, of all places. I know. Yeah, that's cruel. It know. is cruel. Kind of wish that he would, you know, died in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. or not died at all. Preferably, well, preferably, <laughs> preferably, yes, if live on. To but die, you know, Chicago, yeah, not, not New York. Um, let me let me start off by asking you: What was your reaction when you found out that uh, John Hughes was dead, Kathy? Um, I could say what I basically said on Facebook or Twitter. I was I was heartbroken. I was just speechless in shock. I could I just couldn't believe it. You know, uh, the first thing I thought of, and honestly, I, I bust your chops, Laws. I thought about you, Steve. I'm like, your dream interview for so long had been John Hughes. And I kind of felt I felt bad for you that you weren't going to get a chance to talk to him, you know. And he was very reclusive, and we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought about you, and I, I kind of felt for you, buddy. What did you think? Um, I feel bad for saying this. I was really mad. I was mad because it happened late in the day, or we found out about it late in the day here. And um, one of the things I do that I don't think it's really clear is I'm the entertainment editor for the St. Pete Times and for the website. So one of my jobs is to, you know, populate the daily entertainment page. And when somebody dies at 5 o'clock, it throws my world into chaos. Right. But when it's John Hughes dying at 5 o'clock, it, it, throws, every, it throws my universe into chaos. Yeah, because your, your um, bosses, you know, have all this other stuff they want you to do. Right. But you're also, you know, and, and some of them love Stuck in the 80s and some of them maybe don't get it. But you had, you know thousands of people who wanted your opinion Absolutely. and wanted to hear the news from you. I thought you did a great job. What you're good at is you posted it, you posted the news, and then you slowly built. Yeah. And over the course of a few yeah. days, you, you came back and you wrote that really nice uh, eulogy for him, which I edited brilliantly, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you did a great job. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I'm shameless. Yeah. You but, are. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I think we were all shaken by that. And I was interested to, to see how it would play out in the media. You know, like would he? He'd been reclusive for so many so, years, yeah. and for all that he was a brilliant man, and for all the brilliant mu movies he did, and we'll talk about the end of his actual career wasn't that great. Yeah, you know, I think I think the the important thing to see at, in the coming weeks, you know, after this is just how everyone that worked with him loved him. Just so many people who had had him to thank for, you know, for taking them seriously if they were a teenager, for giving them their first break, like Alec Baldwin, you know, who came out and said, you know, he was the one that gave me a first break. He and took a chance on me. She's having a baby. Yeah. Do you think I'm going to be happy? I mean, honestly. You want to be a writer? You want to be a husband? Maybe it'll work out. Who knows? Yeah, you'll be happy. <laughs> you just won't know it, that's all. It built slowly. Um, I remember the next day, the the news stations didn't really cover it all that well. They, it was a small story, and as time built on, suddenly you started to see these tributes from Molly Ringwald. Finally, wrote a nice oh, I know in the piece. New York Times, and then and then you see uh, Alec Baldwin writing in uh, Huffington Post, and then you see Entertainment Weekly. Finally, a week later, comes out with an interesting take. They basically get went around, and Sean's holding a copy of his in his hands right now. 
and talk to all the actors that that John Hughes was known for working for and, and getting their you know impressions and their story is about John Hughes is written by the actors who worked with them. Yeah, I, I thought that the, the the closing quote, the current issue of Entertainment Weekly, if you guys haven't seen it, is great. And they do this oral history, and it, you, you have a feeling it was kind of rushed. Like, they had to, I mean, 12 people wrote this story. Yeah. And they had to go around, like, try to get John Cryer, try to get you know, oh, yeah. Alan Ruck. And the closing quote is from Bill Paxton. I thought it was really interesting because Paxton was in, um, Weird course, Science. Weird Science. Chet. How about a nice... Greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray. Chet. <laughs> yeah, greasy pork sandwich. <laughs> um, and uh, and it, go- it it it, it kind of what you were talking about. These kids grew up with him, you know, and these these formative experiences in their salad days. And basically, he gave them their careers. Yeah. Yet at the same time, they knew that he was he was a recluse, you know. And so I just read Bill Paxton's closing quote. His impact on filmmaking, he was a giant. It was a strange thing when he decided just to pull up stakes and split the whole scene. I'd always wanted to look him up. I almost did one time a couple of years ago when I was in Chicago, but I didn't have the time. I just wanted to look him up to thank him. And that's how it ha- that's how it- I think you I'm going to cry. Look, now, now I'm crying. <laughs> Every Vegas time. is right. No, no. I mean, it's, I, I, mean I, I welled up when I read that. It was, it, but, you know, these people, they wanted to reach out to him. Molly Ringwald talked about this in the yeah, New York Times, Times. that... He, he kind of, for some reason, would hold a grudge. And they loved him. It was the time of their lives. And yet, for some reason, John Hughes backed away from all that. You know, maybe he was uncomfortable as the mouthpiece of the 80s, as this, as this ringleader for all these people. So, I, I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the response from all these, from TV and newspaper, has been great. Because, basically, we're all, you know, in our late 30s, uh, 40s. And the, the people who control, you know, the, the writers and, and stuff like that... We we were all raised on this stuff. Yeah, you know, we're um, all raised. On it was this interesting stuff. because I was I watched uh, Pretty in Pink recently, and I, I was listening to the interviews. They did the anniversary edition, and Molly Ringwald talked about how the movies, when they came out, were popular, but critically, they didn't do well. The critics didn't like it. But she said, now you know, here you are, twenty years later. And those critics are the people that watch the movies. Right. So it, you kind of see that now. And that, right. that you're right. You know, Steve and I were talking a little bit about how John Hughes, um, you know, I, I don't think his movies were huge hits, huge blockbusters at first. Maybe no. he had a couple. But then his movies also became popular in the advent of cable television. Oh, absolutely. And as, as we all, as VCRs and Blockbuster and all these video stores. And so if we didn't see him in the movies, in the movie theaters, we sure as hell yeah. saw him 500 yeah. times on cable and yeah. HBO and at home. Well, it's hard to see it, too. I remember I had a Breakfast Club was rated R. Yeah, so I had, you know, a lot of us had to get parental permission. Yeah, my older cousin John <laughs> had to, to bring me into it. He had to, to get me into the theater. You're a tease. I'm not a tease. Sure you are. Sex is your weapon. You said it yourself. You use it to get respect. No, I never said that. She twisted my words around. What do you use it for, then? I don't use it, period. Oh, are you medically frigid, or is it psychological? I didn't mean it that way. You guys are putting words into my mouth. Well, if you just answer the question. Why don't you just answer the question? Be honest. No big deal. Yeah, answer it. Just answer the question, Claire. Talk to us. Come on, answer, answer the question. Don't it. be it's easy. It's only one question. No! I never did it! The, um, the readers also reacted when um, this happened. And we had, we had a lot of number, people who left messages on the blog and sent us messages. I wanted to take a few minutes, if we have time, and read a couple of the messages. I'd love to hear that. Yes. Um, 
Your, your new favorite listener, Fat Man. I love the Fat Man <laughs> driving a truck up in Washington State. I love him. He wrote, uh, Breakfast Club was the first movie I had ever seen that made me understand that I was not alone in seeing the truth behind stereotypes. If for nothing else, this would have made John Hughes an important part of my journey to manhood. Fat Man, very wise. Yeah. Yes. Very well said. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Leonardo, who is a name I don't really – I don't know if that's a regular reader, but he, he left a note saying, even though he's been quiet for a long time, the news shocked me like a lightning bolt. I thank him for enriching my life that little bit during the 80s with his wonderful characters, brilliant stories, and introducing me to some terrific music. Rest in peace, John Hughes. It was tough, I remember that night, um, to go home from work, um, having written about John Hughes uh, and his death. And I think the only thing I wrote for the paper that next day was like a top five uh, movie tribute. But to go home, and I think I was up till four or five in the morning, and it just as people continued to post to the blog and and leave, and just these gut wrenching reactions, you know, you know, grown men saying, you know, why am I crying? You know what? What is it about this man's death? I mean, he hasn't made a movie that I've watched in, you know, a new movie that I've watched in twenty years, and yet yeah. I can't stop crying. Well, I mean, well, but he made them when you know, when we were impressionable, when you know, when right, we were we going through, and he was the one that we felt like understood us. You know, when when someone dies of this stature, you know, a, a celebrity, uh, an icon, you know, we, we tend to hyperbolize what they meant to us. However, I really think there's great argument to be made, especially for like uh, you know middle class kids in the '80s, that no one was more of an influence on yeah. us—the way we dressed, the way we, what oh, we yeah. talked about, what, what we, we listened, listened to—than to. John Hughes. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, I really—I mean, you can look at Madonna, you could look at um, Michael Jackson. Um, a lot of people, but John Hughes, I mean, that was our dialogue. I yeah, mean, basically, exactly. our entire days in high school were spent <laughs> quoting 16 Candles, Candle. yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I mean, no I more even... Yankee, my wanky, the dog <laughs> and his food, right? You beat up my fist! You grabbed my nuts. Is that you? Yeah, that and me. And it's kind of a family thing, too, because my mom was like, my mom doesn't really understand who John Hughes, the person, was, but... You know, when you think about it, we I mean, we would quote vacation every time we went on a vacation right. or, um, you know, one time I caught my mom saying, let's plow. And I'm like, did you really just say that? <laughs> I'm like, let's oh, my plow. God, she's quoting. Classic. Well, I, you know, and we'll get to all this. But I mean, you know, my dad and I, you know, I mean, my dad and I, our movie was Planes, Trains oh. and Automobiles. We saw it together. You know, and so, uh, you know, I, we, we'll, we'll talk a lot about the teen movies, but uh, I mean, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles yeah. is one, my favorite movie. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, it's just, it had nothing to do with being uncomfortable as a, as a teenager, but being uncomfortable as a, as a middle-aged man, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. how none of us are, you know, are, are quite comfortable in our skins, but we're doing our best, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. I, I know a lot of people took time, too, when they... One of the mysteries when he died, and it still kind of remains a mystery today, is to why he left Hollywood, and why you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been a, a couple glimpses. Yeah. Into- and I sort of hinted at it in, in in some of the things I wrote, and then um, we got a nice thing from a nice comment from Doctor Dim. Doctor Dim is never short of uh, great commentary, is he? You never know where Dim's gonna go. Yeah. He, sometimes he could be. He's a little harsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll take issue. Yeah. Dim will take issue. The uh, but here's what he wrote. Um, just hours after his death was announced. Um, he wrote, 
I just got down from getting my son to bed when Miss when Mrs. Doctor Dim. <laughs> Mrs. Doctor Dim. I don't know. That's that, that's good. <laughs> told me the news. Stuck in the eighties was the first thing that came to my mind. It's sad that the man is gone, but he left us his best work. Spears rightly pointed out that Hughes did his work and walked away to enjoy his life. We can take comfort in that, but we know for certain that there will be no triumphant return of John Hughes. As I said when Michael Jackson died, we mourn not only for the loss of the man, but for the loss of that little part of us that will always be stuck in the 80s. So. That's well said, Dr. Dim. You yeah, know, I mean, um, yeah, there, there was um, in the news his uh, pen pal who he had. There was a girl that he wrote to when she was a teenager and she came out in the news afterwards. Oh, really? And she posted to the blog a little bit about kind of a glimpse into why he left. And one of the things is I think he just, it was his family. And I think he was afraid of what Hollywood would do to his children. And I think he was really worried about what would happen to them. And I think, you know, the the Midwestern man in him just needed to go back to his roots and be, you know, not... Yeah, I think anytime you have somebody who's a genius, okay, who's brilliant, they're going to have issues. They're going to have issues. You know, yeah. and John Hughes totally had his issues, you know? Yeah. Right. And he took a lot of heat for 101 Dalmatians, you know? I mean, he did a lot of crap, uh-huh. you know, that bankrolled him that probably, <clears throat> you know, will make his family set for life, yeah. you know? But, but you I'm know, sure even Martin Scorsese made, you know... Cape Fear, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a good movie. It is no, a good not. movie, but you know, what? every once in a while, a it's yeah, it is a good movie. But anyway. you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get the things done oh, that hey, you want to get done. I'm a tremendous you know? sellout. Spirits oh, will tell you oh, that. Yeah. I'll put my name and likeness uh, on anything. On a, on a, I'm gonna pack you know? a bologna. But you know, I, I have darkness <laughs> to me too. I know. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. But too, I You're I gotta a I gotta think <laughs> I gotta think that John Candy's death had to play. a role in this too I, I think a lot of the people that that meant something to him um their careers moved on they grew up they couldn't yeah, they couldn't well, be they couldn't be the the people that they were when he worked with them and yeah. i think he just failed to find that next uh group of inspirational actors to work with and i think he had told the stories he wanted to tell i mean to some degree stuck in a's will reach a day someday where we will all have told the stories we want to tell, and then it'll be time to what? <gasps> what am I going to do with my free time? <sighs> once we once we've told the stories, then that's it. And then you 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 know you close up shop, you turn off the lights, and and you go Jeez. and you find. Oh my god, god is this our obit? Oh my god! No, I'm just saying. You're really Next, you're going to tell us we're done. Yeah, this yeah, is it. Bring it up. 176 shows. Just say it. What? Just say it. I want to hear you say it. Andy, please. All right. You mentioned John Candy, Kathy, and so it brings up my next question. What movie do each of us relate to the most, and what character, if any, do you relate to the most? You know, um, it's, it's funny. I know you guys are really um, in tune with the, the, the younger ones, the younger the, the movies, the, the, the teen movies. And I, listen, they're ingrained in my DNA, too. Yeah. But um, two movies. One, she's having a baby. Um, for both yeah. of the birth of both of my daughters, the Forever Fiance and I screened. She's having a baby, really close to you know the delivery date, and this was our salve. You know, this was our solace is that we would watch this and just to kind of uh, not not as a textbook, but just get us ready <laughs> for this. You know, because John Hughes. I mean, as you know, here we are, young people, and I know the character of Jake Briggs with you know 
Kevin Bacon's character was was younger than yeah. we were, but but still it was like, all right, high school and college are gone. This is it. You know, this is the primer for the real world. Yeah. And so I got to say that for me, uh, she's having a baby is uh, is extremely important to me. That movie. However, I'm fascinated by, um, like I said before about planes, trains, and automobiles, the 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 character of of John Candy and what he meant to John Hughes, yeah. you know. We'll talk about Molly Ringwald in a bit, who was yeah. an entry character for him in the in the teen movies, but John Candy was really tremendous because he was funny, oh, yeah. lovable, you know, but also never quite comfortable. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, I mean, Planes, Trains is just and an And there was always a certain movie. amount of sadness to him. Yeah. In, in it, you know. Well, Marie, once again, my dear, you were as right as rain. I am, without a doubt, the biggest pain in the butt that ever came down the pike. I meet someone whose company I really enjoy. What do I do? I go overboard. I smother the poor soul. I cause him more trouble than he has a right to. God, I got a big mouth. Ah. <sighs> am I ever going to wake up? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Tears of a Clown. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And even more so now that, that we lost him at yeah. a you know, very young age, just like um, John Hughes. And you know what's interesting? And, and as I've been looking through the, the older John Hughes movies, there's always this running theme, just as a joke, as a throwaway joke, but there's always these heart attack jokes. Oh, wow. And when you watch it now, you think, well, obviously with the John Candy thing, like Dan Aykroyd says, oh, well, I'm going to die of a heart attack or a stroke long before you do. And you're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) But then, you know, there's a part of me that wonders. It's like, you know, then John Candy dies. Is there a part of John Hughes that that knew somehow that wondered that, you know, that something we don't know about? Yeah. Now you look back, there's somewhere that that fatalistic streak in in those movies, you know, it's uh yeah, I guess I was just thinking Uncle Buck when he's dancing, he's like, that's a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, that that was always going to be a worry with John Candy. He's a great, I mean, uh, this guy, John uh, John Hughes is a tremendous writer of of the family experience as well. Obviously with the vacation movies, another one of my favorite movies of all time, Mr. Mom, he wrote the script. Oh, yeah. You know, which is great. And then I love The Great Outdoors. I have great memories of this country when I was a kid, you know, and I used to come up here with my dad, and, and I want the boys to have the same memories. Actually, I would look around you, Roman, for God's sakes. This is, this, is, this is beautiful country here. Take a good look. I'll tell you what I see when I look out there, if you want to know. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. I see the underdeveloped resources of northern Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. I see a syndicated development consortium exploiting over a billion and a half dollars in forest products. I see a paper mill, and if the strategic metals are there, a mining operation. A greenbelt between the condos on the lake and a waste management facility, focusing on the newest rage in toxic waste, medical refuse, infected bandages, body parts, IV tubing, contaminated glassware, entrails, syringes, fluid, blood, low-grade radioactive waste, all safely contained, sunken in the lake, and sealed for centuries. Now. I ask you, what do you see? I, I just see, uh, see trees. 
Basically, my whole life is ordering the old 96er. (laughs) Eat it, daddy. Eat it. So uh, I really, especially now, the way I am now, I mean, these are the adult ones, for lack of a better term. I mean, they really, they really speak to me. Yeah, and and they are just they're they're very comforting. Kathy, what are the what are the movies that you um you know most related to in the characters? There's, it's hard too because I have now I have the teen ones, and you know now that I am an adult, I have the adult ones too. So like you, planes, trains, and automobiles is just I love that movie, uh, and now it's become the thanksgiving ritual where right. i watch it every thanksgiving oh, I, i'm so glad you you said yeah. that because now we have we watch it every thanksgiving planes trains and now look at the uh, uh, and christmas vacation yeah which john hughes wrote he came back to the franchise is now uh, a christmas tradition as yeah. well yeah. yeah so but i i would have to say for the team one for me it would be pretty in pink oh Andy, you look ravishing so he's graduating a month. Now, I don't know when this you and I are going to get together and do something. Try never. Well, I'm talking about more than sex here. No, you're not. You know, I've liked you for four years and you treat me like shit. You know, I don't, I don't understand that. What's the problem? Can you get off of my car? You know, I've been out with a lot of girls at this school. I don't see what makes you so different. I have some taste. You're a bitch. Definitely. I could see that. I, I would have predicted that. Yeah, yeah. I but know. in a nice way. I mean, but, but you had been to the record store. Oh yeah. That, I mean, that half the movie takes place in. Yeah. I mean, you grew up oh, in yeah. Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, and that's why Ferris Bueller too always holds that. That's like the nostalgia movie for me. When I'm starting to get a little homesick, I put on a little Ferris Bueller and I feel like I'm back. Wow. So. So you felt like you were the Andy character in Pretty in Pink. Uh, yeah, Andy, right? yeah, Andy, yeah, yeah. But to be quite honest, I'm probably a little more ducky, a little more oh. Watts. Yeah, Watts without the diamond Watts. earrings. Now I'll say right now, some kind of wonderful out of all his teen movies, you know, it might be my favorite. I hate, I hate feeling ashamed. I hate where I'm from. I hate watching my friends get everything their hearts desire. gave into that hatred and I turned on what I believed in. I didn't have to. You didn't. So you won't do it again. You don't have to. Ever. Wouldn't you say it was the most realistic? Like all the other ones had a moment of like fairy taleness, surrealism. Oh yeah, it's funny. Definitely like sixteen candles. When uh, Kathy and I were recreating the Watts uh, makeout scene the other day at the lair, we were saying. I know you guys made out. Why don't you announce to the world that there was a makeout session? Wow, look, Kathy actually, <laughs> Kathy is putting that rumor to, to rest right now with the look of shock with on her the face. Look wow, of shock. wow, yeah. sorry about yeah. that. Man. I'm sorry. That no, watch that. That's Farmer great. Ted's lo- dream sequence that <laughs> I wasn't aware. Of. <laughs> the uh, no, some kind of wonderful. It's um, until the very oh, very yeah. end where it's very swoony and lovely. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he kind of like he didn't direct it. He wrote it. Yeah, but like any sort of uh of of, of veneer of fantasy was gone. Yeah. yeah, you can even see Breakfast Club has a little bit of that. Yeah. Dance sequences and stuff, yeah, but, but some it, kind of wonderful was pretty like uh, you know it was very honest. Yeah, so it was extremely a, a honest. stripped down sort of yeah. uh, teen comedy. You didn't have his his traditional actors with them. It was it was almost like a uh, alternate universe John Hughes type. Of oh movie. yeah, totally. and in a way it it writes the wrongs of Pretty in Pink. Yeah. It does. It so, does. Um, 
God, you know, when it comes to me, which one do I relate to? Part of me wants to still relate to she's having a baby, and but only for the beginning scenes where he's fresh out of college and he's in a dead-end job that he doesn't want, and he's trying to break free and write his book and fulfill his dream, and he just feels his career just slowly strangling his dream. Uh, I mean, I think I could relate to that. Um, <laughs> Can't we? Uh, every, time, every time I talk to Sean Daly, I relate to that <laughs> as he strangles my dream. The um, I never had kids, and I and I'm 99 sure I'll never have kids. You don't know that. Um, You're a young man. I hate when you say that. But the um, so the scenes where he's kind of grappling with the whole we're we're going to try to have a baby thing. Yeah. That, that sort of leaves a weird. Well, God, he was so young too, John Hughes. When yeah. he had his kids, you know, yeah. I've never been married, and I don't know if I'll ever be married. <laughs> right. I'm 99% sure you won't be. I'm 99% sure, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thanks, I'm guys. 99% sure you Sorry, shouldn't. Sorry, forever fiancé. <laughs> but, I mean, so there's... That, that's, those, those scenes hit me on a different level. Other than that, um, I would say I probably relate more to, to Pretty in Pink, uh, um, interestingly enough. And I would yeah. say the character, and this is going to sound pathetic, but the character that I relate to most is the Andrew McCarthy character. Oh, I thought you were going to say Andrew Dice Clay. Loves a bitch, Doc. Loves a bitch. Ain't it the truth? Oh, it's it the, the truth. truth. High five. All right. Go for it. I, I've always liked Andrew McCarthy, and I know yeah. you think he's oh, a know. total tool, and that he acts with his eyes. But he does act with his eyes. But there's something about him that I've always related to in the sense that he's, he's this guy. He's trying to figure out who he is, and he's trying to figure out what he wants, and sometimes his head and his heart take him in different directions, and he's a little too... Um, easily manipulated by his friends. And, and it's, Steph, and I, I'd be easily manipulated I by know. Steph too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <She> said, me- <laughs> Memories of our great James Spader film fest. What a night! Uh, my liver still has bruises on it. Uh, the, um, so, so that's so that's kind of where I lean. So it's like we all kind of lean in different directions. I would have said I would have s- said Ducky for you, uh, Sean. I don't know, but he gets the girl. <laughs> I get. I always. He always I, gets the girl. I, I get the girl. I'm like, no, you don't get the girl. How am I? How he would am be I more ducky? Ferris. I think. No, really? See, that's what Spears wants no. me to be, Ducky. I no. won't, because you're the comic. You're the comic relief. Yeah, you're but he was like man. a sad sack. You're the Repscalian. He was a sad sack. You've I'm been like, a sad I'm... sack a couple times. Oh, come on. I'm like the lord of my world. <laughs> that's true. I'm the puppet master. You are Dance, more of a Spears. Ferris. Okay, he's more Roman right now. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> How about the gourmet here? You know what he wanted? Oh. Hot dogs. Okay. You know they make those things out of hot shit? You know? Lips and assholes. <laughs> um, now, what movie, when you, when you look at all his movies, when, John Hughes certainly put himself into his scripts. What, um, what character do you think he saw himself in as, as his career went on? Well, that's the whole thing about him. I mean, part of the fascinating <clears throat> part of uh, John Hughes is that he was two different, very disparate people. He was a 98-pound, pa- 98 red-headed teenager you know, teenage girl, Molly Ringwald. And in later years, he was a 300-pound middle-aged <laughs> yes. man played by John Candy. I mean, those were his entry people. Those were his two great um, actors that he worked well, with. Well, that was his entry and his exit. I mean, he was Jake, you know, Jake and She's Having a Baby. Oh, yeah. That, that's what he did. I mean, he yeah, was... Yeah, that a, was him, definitely. Yeah, but how many did... Well, he probably did more movies with uh, John Candy than anybody else. Uncle Buck... Um, did, great outdoors, planes, trains, and I think he has a he has a cam- oh he has a little cameo and she's having a baby, baby but at the very yeah. end. Yeah, what did he do? Two with um, oh was three. He, oh, he did three with Molly. Ringwald. That's what I'm saying. He bookends yeah. him with Molly and John. I mean, and, and then in the middle you see 
little little sprinklings of him, like in Jake. I don't know who he is in Weird Science. <laughs> I don't know. Weird, I mean, Sci- Weird yeah. Science is like, it doesn't even feel like a John Well, Hughes that was movie. just him just riffing, right? Yeah. I mean, that was all just uh, one you big punchline. Th- I mean, don't you think there's a little bit of Anthony Michael Hall in him, too, though? Yeah, because I, I know that, that John Hughes always kind of considered himself to be the geek. Yeah. And I remember, I remember, I think it was in um, Entertainment Weekly where, where uh, is it John Cryer or somebody recalls a conversation they have with, with John Hughes on the set where John's like, you know, just lamenting the poor, um, you know, fate of the geek in the 80s. And I then, have that quote. Would you like me to read it real yeah. quick? From Entertainment Weekly, here's John Cryer. He had this incredible gift for dialing into the adolescent male mindset. When I met him, I realized, aha, he's one of us. At one point, we were walking on the set talking about Ducky and how history was not always kind to the geeks. We got to John's car, which is one of the most awesome Porsches I'd ever seen in my <laughs> life, and he said, yeah, but sometimes the geeks do okay. Yeah. So there yeah, you go. There you go. Yeah. So maybe he's a little yeah. Anthony Michael Hall. I always thought what Weird Science was a strange movie. I almost thought that's kind of where he, he bowed a little too deep to what Hollywood wanted from him. And you and you lose some of the endearing qualities that in weird science, yeah, yeah. And that's why it's I, I think is one of his weakest movies, right? Yeah. Uh, so I have a question for you guys. If we're playing this game about who John Hughes was and Ferris Bueller, was he Ferris or was he Cameron? Where's your brain? Why'd you kick Where's me? Where's your brain? Why'd you kick me? Where's your brain? I asked you first. He's Cameron. Oh, he's absolutely Cameron. But yeah. he wants to be Ferris. Oh, but, but see, that's the beauty of it. I think about Ferris is. Almost all of us are Cameron, right. I think, yeah. and we. And that's why that's why we love Ferris. I remember seeing that movie and loving it, and loving the soundtrack and laughing my ass off. But I was terrified, secretly terrified of, of being Cameron. You know, of like oh, God, yeah. no, I don't want to be a Cameron when I grow up. You know. Even though Ferris is going to be working at a, you know, <laughs> as a fry cook, as a fry cook, ha- you know, uh, yeah. you know, it's like. But I guess you're right that we were. But all there is sort of, of, and and then that's kind of always his, the crux of it, like the crux of it with, with, with uh, great outdoors and stuff. It's like, are you the, the fun loving family man, or are you the hard working? nose to the grindstone all oh. i care about is money sort so, of in thing a, in a way, he, he doesn't really i mean he doesn't have his 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 adult characters are not as complex as sometimes as his teen characters are mm-hmm. oh see i, I would say I that, that neil page that. and del griffith and planes trains for as much oh, as yeah. it's uh it's hilarious i think there's real nuance yeah. there to oh, those yeah. guys now let me ask you kathy because uh, only you can answer this question okay. if if john hughes is molly ringwald in those early movies I just want to know how well do you think John Hughes understands the minds of a teenage female? Surprisingly well, I think. Um, and I've been thinking about that over the past couple of weeks. How he is so careful of the female characters' feelings too, and how he went out of his way. I think at the time you had a lot of porky, you know, you had porkies and stuff, and it was all about sex. But the main characters in his movies never really. You know, they weren't slutty. They, they had substance. Substance, yeah, right. they did. And especially in Pretty in Pink, I think you have the whole movie is told basically from Andy's point of view, which was virtually unheard of at that time. And I think gave her real depth, and and she had a lot of issues to deal with, and yet came out with her integrity. Yeah. 
and I think was able to stand up. I, I mean, I think that's why I, I love that movie so much because, you know, they're... You'd swear it was written by a female writer. For as badly as Blaine is drawn out as a character <laughs> yes. and Steph by, by James Spader. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, Ducky is kind of fleshed out. I mean, you sort of feel both sides of his, yeah. you know. And I think a lot of that, too, is John Cryer adding his own. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, that movie made John Cryer who he is. Yeah. But, but I've, I've, always, I've always kind of wondered, you know, because I don't think I've ever asked before. I mean, does John yeah. Hughes write good female characters? And I you're think saying he does. he does. I think he does. So. He, he kind of backed we, away from that and later. I'll yeah. tell you, his worst, even though I love She's Having a Baby, oh, Elizabeth exactly. McGovern's <laughs> character, character is horrible. Horrible. She has no, all she does is react with these short lines. I, I mean, she has nothing yeah. to say. You watch that movie, and maybe it's a guy fantasy. I don't know. It, I think it is. But you watch yeah. that movie, and then you're, you're just struck by, she has one scene that maybe has a little substance when she confronts... Um, Alec Baldwin's character, who is oh, trying yeah. to entice her into an, an affair. What well, doesn't have to be about love? Don't you at least be curious? Didn't you ever steal a piece of candy when you were a kid? I'm not a kid anymore. You got cold, huh? I didn't get cold. I just found out something you're not even close to yet. Educate me. It won't mean anything. You gotta figure it out yourself. You gotta feel it in your own skin. Don't tell Jake about this. It isn't fatal. You have your good points. You're the only one I ever loved. No, Davis. You're the only one you ever loved. At what movie did each of us give up on John Hughes as as being our voice anymore? Home Alone. Yeah, probably Home Alone. I think it was Curly Sue. After that. It was after that. Okay, yeah, I saw Home Alone on, like, I think Thanksgiving night with the rest of the world, you know? Yeah. And I said, whoa, this is... Okay, I he's not He's not writing for me anymore. No. Um, I do... <laughs> I, was, I was in college and when the Home Alone movies came out, and I was working at a bookstore, and they had this, you know, all the marketing of the time. They had Joe Pesci bookmarks. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> And every day I was like, because what everybody wants for Christmas is a Joe Pesci bookmark. And I apparently drove that into the ground. I know you find that hard to believe to the point where, guess what I got for Christmas? Uh, yeah. oh, <laughs> a no. Joe Pesci bookmark. Really? You still have it? It's probably worth a fortune these days. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Home Alone, yeah. Is a, I think that's a good pick. I mean, I think I know I saw Curly Sue and I remember thinking... Oh God! I mean, With your boy James Belushi in it, yeah, he's he's yeah. okay, but it's just it's just a shell of what he was, and and then and then all the Beethoven movies. I did. I've I've never watched one of them. Yeah, I gotta say, you know, I know this is you know a tribute, and I, I I'm not gonna be all loving on this. I I kind of I was mad during that period. I kind of felt like he let me down. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I didn't know he did the Beethoven movies. Would he write those? Or just produce them? I think he just wrote them. He just but, wrote but them. But he um, he made a ton of money, and my kids are still watching all those yeah. things at home too. I, yeah. I think I think at that point he had Indeed. ceased to be our spokesman anymore. And yeah, he, and he was he was doing his own thing. He wasn't he was speaking kind of for dead. who I was. And then he wrote. And then I mean, then I mean, he even ceased to write as John Hughes after that. He did you know movies after that under the pseudonym. But before we get much further. We have to talk about his influence on music in the 80s. Oh, yes. Um, he certainly influenced a lot of what we listened to as much as what we wore and what we said. Um, 
Does anybody have a favorite soundtrack or a favorite song? Oh, I was going to say Some Kind of Wonderful, I think, might be his best. <sighs> I think. And uh, I would say Pretty in Pink. With I Go Crazy. But I love both of those. for Lulu. You know, uh, Entertainment Weekly also has a um, uh, a playlist in there, and it's all you know. Don't you forget about me? And uh, yeah, what's the, oh well, yeah? Well, how can you not hear "Don't know, You Forget About Me" you know, and not think of Breakfast Club? Though if I you mean, leave, it's synonymous, sort of, you know. Um, yeah. But I mean, there's some real weird little nuggets. Like I just put on my blog "Red River Rock" by the Silicon oh, yeah. Teens and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You know. Uh, doot, doot, doot. I mean, that's just yeah. it, it's it's great. I mean, there's all this, real, but even like he has Emmylou Harris in there and playing strings. I mean, yeah. really, these great finds. And I wrote a piece uh, a while ago. I was talking about this new movie called Five Hundred Days of Summer. Oh yeah, and it has a great soundtrack. And the soundtrack is so smart. And it's it's it, it's one with the movie. They work together. You know, it's totally symbiotic. And people don't these days. A lot of soundtracks are just crass. Yeah. They just want to they have nothing to do with the movie. They just want to sell records. They were just but exactly. Where John Hughes, I mean, the you know, you can't think of Ferris Bueller without what is it? Uh yellow, yellow. playing at oh, the end, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um I mean, he he had this understanding of 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 not just comedy with music, but setting a mood and ripping your heart out and yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you take away those songs from John Hughes movies, maybe it's, we're not having this podcast. I know. Right. And, and he and I think too um with John, it was just his genuine love of music. Yeah. I just read recently, I kind of, he apparently just had, you know, hundreds of of record albums and he knew like every A&R guy, but he wasn't doing it. Like you said, he wasn't putting these soundtracks together to sell them. He was doing it because, you know, he really liked this music or he really liked this yeah, band. Yeah. Like, obviously, he was a big Oingo Boingo fan, right. you know, because he... Um, Wild Sex in the um, Working Class shows up in 16 Candles. Yeah, in the dance scene. In the dance scene. Yeah, so. It's funny because you, you make a point of saying he didn't do this to sell records. He didn't. If you look at there's no soundtrack for Ferris Bueller. No. Uh, it was never produced. About, yeah. And he, a lot of times it was hard for later for the DVDs for them to also get. Yeah. Like, that was a problem with music 16 is, Candles. It's yeah. really hard. to. 16 Candles is another one where there. I think uh, there was a soundtrack, but it's just like an EP. Yeah. There's only like maybe... Seven songs yeah. on it. Whereas Ferris Bueller, I think he actually created his own record. He had like a, a limited number pressed that he gave to friends who oh. were always asking him for the music from Ferris yeah. Bueller. And he did give a bunch of mixtapes to his team. Did you he? know, yeah, to Molly and. He reminds me of uh, Quentin Tarantino a little bit with um, soundtrack wise, at that these real music nerds and they just go into oh, their yeah. stacks. And oh, they totally. Pull out these yeah. Great songs. yeah. Again, I keep coming back to it, but one of. Uh, a moment of pure joy uh, of someone enjoying music is John Candy as he's listening to Ray Charles's oh, Mess Around. That could be one strange. of my favorite and scenes Steve, of all the mess time. Around. Love the Mess Around. And Steve Martin is passed out. He's smoking, you know, <laughs> smoking, and he's playing yeah. keyboards. On, I mean, who hasn't been in that yeah. position in the car just rocking out to a great tune, know. you know? Um, you kind of say that the, the, the art has been lost, and you, you mentioned Five Hundred Days of Summer picks it up, and I, I agree. But there's somebody who's kind of I think has carried on that tradition since the '80s through today, and that's Cameron Crowe. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll give he you that. makes music just as much of a part of his movies 
as John Hughes well, did. And it singles is like, you know, if if you pick a John Hughes soundtrack as, you know, Pretty in Pink, say, as an 80s soundtrack, singles is such a 90s soundtrack. Yeah. Well, the know? whole grunge movement yeah. at that time. But it is, but yeah. And, um, plus, it doesn't hurt that Kim McCrow has Nancy Wilson well, as a, as a wife that. to help kind of shepherd oh, the yeah. music along. But today, I think, and I love the fact that a movie's today still do that very rarely but still do that does do they dictate what we listen to quite as much as they did when hughes was around probably not no but i think that's because when i was listening to those soundtracks that's when my musical taste was being formed right and i don't think it would be the same if it wasn't for john hughes would i have been a huge new order fan yeah i'd never heard i'd never heard a new order before that was the whole point i mean right now soundtracks follow trends instead of starting exactly you know what i'm trying to say john hughes was giving you music that you had never heard Heard before transformers 2 when we get that soundtrack it's the same nickelback crap we've heard they're they're trying to ride a trend where john hughes is a total original and was trying to start them absolutely i'm very furious about that now you're getting me all angry i know i love soundtracks I, oh, and you know what's interesting too is what you know. I pulled out my old soundtrack. I had pulled out "She's Having a Baby," and then I realized I'm like, I have "She's Having a Baby," some kind of wonderful, pretty in pink, on CD, which I then had to go out and buy as an adult. Yeah, you know, so it wasn't even you know because I had them as cassette or whatever. But you know, it was something that I went on you know years later and bought because those were the ones that just I loved. I, loved I imagine in the whole in the, in the in the wake of his death, I you know, we're going to see a, a new onslaught even though the DVDs have been repackaged numerous oh, yeah, times. Numerous times. You're going to see more probably remastered CDs oh, yeah. with bonus cuts. I'd love to see the Planes Train soundtrack. Not that it'd be a huge seller for no, anybody, but, but it, I mean if, if, our reader base note just put the sa- the set list together for Planes Trains and it's remarkable, you know. And you would love to see finally see a Ferris, um, a oh, Ferris yeah. soundtrack. I think that would do well. In the process of researching this podcast today and all the John Hughes stuff I've read and written over the last two weeks, um, I've come across some little bits of trivia that I think maybe some people don't really remember about our favorite filmmaker. So I'm going to pass it off as this uh, podcast's top five list because God knows it's not stuck in the 80s thing unless there's a top five list, right? <laughs> so right? true. That's like true. It's true. <laughs> Uncle Buck indeed. <laughs> UB. Right, I, I prefer UB. UB. Oh, I love Here you. Here we go. I love so UB. Cue the countdown. Number five. Okay, we've all heard of uh, Shermer, Illinois, correct? Absolutely. Is it fictional or non-fictional? Fictional? I'll go with fictional. It is fictional. Hey. Okay, thank God. I'm like, I don't remember um, Shermer. Uh, John Hughes went to uh, Glenbrook North High School in Northbrook, Illinois. However, the original name of Northbrook was Shermerville. Oh. And it, is, it is believed that that is where uh, the name Shermer is. Excellent. Oh, wow. Good Good I didn't know that. Very nice, very nice. Number four. Uh, okay, we've said before that John Hughes was a um, started his career as an advertising copywriter. Can anybody recall his most famous campaign? Ooh, wow! Um, oh, I should know this, and I don't. It's on the tip of my tongue. Is it like a little uh, Rolades or Tums? It's oh Alka Seltzer. No. no, that's way I too. The little Alka Seltzer no. guy, yeah. the little Alka Seltzer hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Use one after this podcast. <laughs> oh. It is the famous Edge Shaving Cream credit card 
against oh, the skin. Oh, wow. That, yeah. was that was him. Oh, that was good him. one. Oh, wow. That's my... Okay. So he didn't do so badly as a copywriter. So yeah. Number three. Can anybody name, without looking at your notes, his first credited screenplay? Oh, wow. First credited screenplay. Mr. Mom was really, really early. Um, not vacation. Kathy, you got anything? No. National Lampoon's Class Reunion. Class oh, Reunion! Yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> Horrible. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's got a couple yeah. laughs. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, a whole like airplane type humor. That right? was um, yeah, it was sort of it was playing off of the success of Animal House, and yeah. uh, it's back when he was a writer for uh, National Lampoon. The Lampoon, that's right. Um, mm. And he would, of course, uh, you know, write his career by. Uh, his next project, which was National Lampoon's you know, he Vacation. Wrote, do you know he wrote jokes for Rodney Dangerfield? Yep. That's very cool. Yeah, that is yeah. cool. National yeah. Lampoon's Vacation put him back, you know, in the good graces of Hollywood. Oh, yes. Number two. John Hughes actually has three acting credits during his career. Can anybody name them? Oh, man. Ferris? He's in Ferris. What is he in Ferris? You just I guess. think he's totally at the... No, guess. I think he's at the... Cubs game? He is he is he has two appearances technically in this movie. He is a guy running between the cabs during yes. and at the very beginning of the movie when they're in Cameron's bedroom oh. and Cameron's under the sheets and you see the hand come out <laughs> to turn on the speakerphone. That is John Hughes's hand. Oh. Really? Oh, oh that's want, good. He wanted it done just a certain way. And so he did it instead of Alan Ruck. So that oh. that is who you that's where you'll see uh John Hughes twice. Excellent. Good one. Next uh the next movie the Breakfast Club. Do you know who he was in that? He dropped somebody off at school. Oh, yeah. He was... Brian's dad. Brian's dad. I was going to say he's Brian's dad. dad, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, which is why good. I kind of think he... You'll never get the third one, was though. was with Brian. You'll never get the third one. I'll just give it to you. He is in Class Reunion. <laughs> he plays a girl in a dress with a paper bag over her head. Oh, oh yeah. Are I you think serious? she's on the poster, Oh, that's too. awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's good stuff, Spears. Cross-dressing Good ones. You stumped us. And the top one. Number one. Does anybody know the pen name that John Hughes took when he wrote uh, screenplays he didn't necessarily want his uh, real name associated with? Oh, man. I... You looked at your notes. No, I know. Ah, I forget. No. I just read it the I other day. I just read it. It's not. It's, and not, it's, a, it's, it's really milk toast, right? It's really Edmund straight. Dantes. Edmund Dantes. That's right. Now, does anybody know who Edmund Dantes is? He is the title character and protagonist of the novel The Count of Monte Cristo. Yes, that's right. Oh. See, I knew um, all that, but I couldn't remember. <laughs> and uh, and if you want to try to read into it, uh, he's the character that suffers problems with loyalty and betrayal by his friends. And who disappears for ten years only to come back as the Count of Monte Cristo and write Cristo. Beethoven Five, <laughs> okay, and uh, and exacts his revenge. Wow, oh. Spearsy. So somewhat chilling. You sort of wonder if maybe um, Hughes didn't have some sort of uh, grand plan to come back and exact his revenge on Hollywood. Wow, wow. Oh man, I got chills. I know. So sadly, it wouldn't, wouldn't be to happen. So, what will his legacy be then? A fin- final thoughts. Oh, you know, I was just talking to a uh, an intern here, uh, a friend of mine, and she says that uh, her friend, you know, she's 15, 16, her friends, they watch The Breakfast Club all the time. Know. You know, his movies now are finding a brand new audience. Oh, totally. Audience. Um, my friend Lee, 
uh, who's 10 years younger than me, knows The Breakfast Club by heart better than I do because she watched it. And then um, my friend's daughter, who's 14 now, is obsessed with Ferris Bueller and knows that movie complete with voices. She can do the British, British father. You know, for as much as we uh, talk about John Hughes being rooted and stuck in the 80s, they transcend decades. They transcend. they transcend era, you know. There's Planes, Trains is always going to be funny, funny. You know, Pretty yeah. in Pink is always going to be heartbreaking and yeah. beautiful. Sixteen Candles is always going to be effing hilarious. And you know, too, I think part of it, and it's going to be the writing, too, and one of the, the key things is that he wrote his own slang. So that it wasn't dated, right? Because come on, tell me Juno isn't already annoying. Oh, yeah. uh, what ten years later, it's not going to be. Oh yeah, you know. and look, and you talk about legacy. Look at all the people he, he influenced. You know, oh, I mean absolutely. Diablo Cody, yeah. who wrote Juno, total John Hughes. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, all these teen movies today that came out, they're all. I mean, wasn't there what not another teen movie? Didn't they go to John, John Hughes? Hughes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, There's his the legacy, Anthony Michael is, Dining Hall. I mean, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Molly Ringwald makes an appearance. There's, there's a lot of um, oh, yeah. the humor has been reborn in a new generation of, yeah. of teen movies, and I think that will continue. Maybe that becomes his legacy: is that he created a genre that will be honored and parodied and and downright copied yeah. for generations to come. Absolutely. Well, because his, I mean, the stories he tells are timeless. I mean, they happen to all teenagers. It's not like all of a sudden it was just you know. Whoa! In the eighties, we you know had heartbreak and you know yeah. so. But it was the first time I think that he looked at teenagers as human beings. I want to go back to the Spears Lair right now and watch like five John Hughes know, movies in a row. I the know. three of us, and then the two of you sneak off somewhere. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> I'm the Tucky character, you know, aren't I? <laughs> oh, well, John Hughes, we're gonna miss you. Um, I, I am heartbroken that I never got a chance to talk to you, and um, I don't think we've said the last things we're ever going to say about him. Oh no! No, because we're going to do uh, another weird science podcast, <laughs> and we're going to touch on all, over. All, all the things we didn't uh, get to before. <laughs> That's great. We appreciate uh, everyone being patient with us as we finally cranked this uh, podcast out. It was uh, one of those ones that was just hard to to give birth to. Yeah, because we had to say a lot of things we didn't want to say. But uh, in the meantime. As we head over to the lair to engage in our John Hughes Film Fest and... Uh, hands where I can see him, kids. Hands where I can yeah. see him. Uh, Gonna pull out that old 96er and finally... <laughs> if you're lucky. Hey, it's a 9.6er. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Kathy, thanks for coming in. Sean. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for just sitting there and staring at me with awkward eyes. <laughs> How is that different from any other day? I know. Really? I love you, big love. We'll get back to normal next week, but in the meantime, along with John Hughes, we remain here, firmly stuck in the 80s. Ciao. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. Read the blog at blogs.tampabay.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. Oh.